With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales. My name is Siva Avaru, managing partner of Y Whales Solutions, and we've got a great guest for you today. I'm joined by Carson Cook founder and CEO of Membrane Labs. Carson, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Membrane Labs. I mean, the the, the name is not indicative of what your platform is. So get, get, give us a little 30-second spiel of what Membrane is and, and what you guys do and and uh, how, how, you're, how you guys are deploying you know, awesome capabilities here in Web3. Sure. So Membrane Labs uh, has created the Membrane platform. Membrane is a digital asset settlement and operations management platform. Sounds like a lot. It basically means for institutions that need to manage all of their movements uh, of crypto assets on chain um, as a result of trading and lending activities. Uh, Membrane gives all of that to them in a box and, and streamlines all of their operations. Oh, interesting. So it, w w who would you say is your targeted, I mean, you, you just mentioned institutions, um, uh, would, retail traders, do they have access to your platform at all? Good question. Uh, we're planning to unroll that uh, in the, the near future. Um, right now, it's more targeted towards OTC uh, spot desks, as well as lenders uh, and exchanges and other enterprises. Uh, and then in, in the future, I think these same tools will be powerful for for retail traders. But at the moment, we're more focused on institutions. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the actual nuances of your platform. But I, I, I just have to ask, you know, I was LinkedIn stalking you. I was looking at your background and, you know, I see a fellow guy from Wisconsin and, and I'm just perplexed. How does a guy from Wisconsin, you know, and a PhD to that matter, uh, eventually, you know, spin up a startup that is targeting, you know, digital asset custodians and settlements and, and all that good stuff, private capital markets. What, what's your journey like here? Yeah, great question. So I took uh, maybe a meandering path to where I am today. Uh, so as you mentioned, I grew up in uh, northern Wisconsin, went to school at, at Madison, um, started on the tech side, did a did a PhD in physics, master's in electrical engineering, spent maybe way too much time at school, um, ultimately uh, got into the, the trading world part-time, um, which is where I met some of the initial investors and co-founders in uh, Membrane. And uh, Following, following my completion of my PhD, I joined McKinsey, um, did management consulting uh, on uh, targeting banking, financial services, fintech clients for about three, three and a half years. Uh, that took me to Chicago, um, deepened my interest in financial services broadly. And during that time is where I really fell down the crypto blockchain rabbit hole. Uh, left McKinsey in January 2018 and moved out to Los Angeles to start a firm called Fractal. Um, Fractal um, was a prop trading and market making uh, entity. Uh, and really from that experience, that's where I saw opportunities to go build infrastructure, picks and shovels in the space. Um, so two things came out, of, uh, out from kind of that experience. Um, one which we'll be talking about today is Membrane, and the other is Tokamak, which is a, a DeFi protocol that launched in 2021 um, and is actually about to launch a, a V2, which we can get into uh, another time. But it's sort of a liquidity provider uh, in a smart contract that, that runs on the Ethereum blockchain and, and provides liquidity across a lot of DEXs. So that was one opportunity that we saw uh, and that I saw to go build. The other was just um, the significant operational hurdles and uh, capital inefficiencies that exist in trying to run a trading or lending operation in the space. Um, when you compare it to how it works in traditional capital markets, there's so much infrastructure built where you can have capital at uh, one custodian or one prime broker and, and use that across a lot of different trading types that just doesn't exist uh, within crypto. And so that was what I need, knew we needed to sort of uh, go build. And that's how Membrane was. was you, you actually highlighted a very key problem right now, right? Um, if you're an exchange, if you're a bank, if you're a financial institution, if you're a market maker, if you're an ex you know, uh, if you're a broker, what have you, there isn't really a centralized rail, so to speak, when entering into 
crypto-backed assets, right? OTC trading, spot trading, futures. You know, if you're in the EU, derivatives, right? Um, we 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 don't have any licensing here yet in the US, right? So that's that's oh, thank you, Micah, right? Uh, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, but you know, membrane is actually accomplishing a pretty big. Um, gap right now in terms of the trading world, in terms of how financial institutions want to actually offer uh, crypto uh, financial instruments to their offer uh, to their to the clients, and the same thing from brokers, same thing for market. You know, I think the biggest thing for market makers and and liquidity providers is the instant fulfillment of these crypto assets in twenty four seven trading markets. How are you? How are you? Um, actually, let me reframe this question. How are you going to market with those traditional financial institutions that are probably very hesitant to touch the crypto space right now? We've just had huge banking failures. We have Gary Gensler that's on an enormous warpath right now in our industry. And so a lot of these TradFi institutions right now are probably very hands-off saying, hey, we don't know if we want to touch this. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's a lot of risk. There's no regulation that we have precedent to align towards. What, what is your pitch for them, so to speak, to say, hey, come with Membrane. Let us be your enabler of settlement. Let us be your enabler of, of or let us enable you to be a custodian for that matter, right? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think our, our clients fall, there's a few different ways to segment our client base. Um, one, of course, is those that come from traditional finance, as you say, versus those that are more uh, crypto native. Uh, and we do target uh, both. So if you're a uh, crypto native lending desk, or if you're a crypto native uh, OTC uh, uh, desk, those are great examples of clients, but also exchanges that come from traditional finance we're talking to. And to your point, those those uh, participants are very much looking at the market right now, trying to figure out, do they wait and see? We've, uh, just yesterday, I was talking to one one such client that was very excited to use um, our, our software solution for the clearing, netting, and settlement. And you know they're currently watching the market, uh, kind of waiting it out, seeing, do they do it in the US? Do they do it somewhere else? And, and they're coming kind of from the equity side uh, into, uh, into digital assets like Bitcoin. Um, I think broadly across uh, kind of our offering, we think of everything as, as post-trade. There's a number of, of different solutions that are focused on sort of execution, um, aggregation of different uh, execution sources. And we see that as, well, a very important piece of the market, something that's been, been covered by a few and there's multiple uh, providers that are doing that very well. We decided to focus on post-trade, everything that happens, which is the clearing and settlement uh, uh, portion of this. And so as we talk to those different players, um, it keeps us in, a, in uh, also less gray area because we don't deal with execution or the actual trade or loan itself. Um, within Membrane, they're booking that with a counterparty. They're executing that with a counterparty, and then they're booking that into the system. And then within Membrane, both sides are configuring their wallets or their custodians. And we're netting down. So if you have a thousand different trades or loans that you've booked into the system, it will net down to the fewest amount of payments or transfers that need to go between participants whether those participants are exchanges, custodians, OTC desks. And so really our, our sort of two-pronged approach getting, approach, getting back to your question, is if you go to the crypto natives, you just show them how their life can be infinitely better versus how their operations teams right now are underwater dealing with Telegram chats, Google Sheets, and trying to figure out who to, who to send what token to and sending test transactions, asking for public addresses. We streamline that whole process where now both both counterparties configure themselves as an institution within Membrane, uh, and everything is sort of handled within there. All they need to do is sign from their, their custodian or their wallet. On the non-crypto natives, um, it's a lot of letting them know what we're hearing and seeing from different participants that, that are sort of the principal actors. Membrane doesn't actually engage in any of the trading or, or lending, um, and uh, everyone sort of is in this, okay, what, what do we do within the U.S.? I think there is becoming more clarity sort of at a global scale, even if there's less clarity at the moment uh, within the U.S. So uh, happy to go deeper. I don't know if I, I fully answered your question or not, but that gives you a little bit of no, color. No, no, I, 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 think, I think you've got some things that we can we can chew here on. I mean, and, and one key thing that you highlighted is you're, you're not an execution venue, right? You're, you're not facilitating the trade. You're not, uh, but, but maybe for our listeners here, you're, you're, you're more of the on and off ramp, so to speak, for institutions that want to enter into some sort of regulated training, right? Yep. That's, that's a good way to put it. So like one way to think about it is, <clears throat> Siva, if you have a 
an OTC desk and I have an OTC desk right now, we're going to be in Telegram or Skype or WhatsApp. That's sort of the, the current state of, of that market. It's a flurry. And then it's, after, it's, 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 like exactly. a, it's, it's like a 24-7 war, uh, war room, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and more sophisticated ones like big institutions that we talk to that come more from traditional markets, they might use Bloomberg uh, or or something else, like uh, a maybe trade a Talos lab or something. Or 360 for, T yeah. or something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, for execution. Um, and so what we said is, great, let's let's just let them take whatever they execute wherever, uh, and either they can enter it through the UI or programmatically by API where we can integrate with those execution venues, drop them in. So now if, if you have, again, going back to you and me running two different desks, you would have your ops team and they would need to scrape those channels or those chats, figure out what we did. They probably are doing no netting. So if we're active tra- actively trading back and forth, they might have 50 things that they now need to figure out how to settle. And within membrane, that whole process is managed and it would just be, oh, great. Uh, I owe you 10,000 ETH and you owe me 5 million USDC uh, or whatever at the end of the day, which could be net of a lot of different, uh, a lot of activity and a lot of trading. Um, so that's sort of the way that that membrane streamlines it, or as you said, um, it's a way to get those those institutions both in the space that right now are doing things in a very um, clunky manner just because that's what everyone's doing in the space uh, or those outside the space looking in. Th- those from traditional finance will not enter and do it the way that current crypto natives are doing. Um, that They kind of look at that process and say, I'm out. So well, this and, is, and, as you said, maybe, a way to get That's in. key. Maybe you can expand on that because I think you, you highlighted there's two very distinct psychographs of traders right now in this space. You have the traditional finance players who have a very much different trading mindset. And then you have the degens, the crypto natives, right? And the crypto desks that have spun up because they are the degens, right? Maybe you can give us a little bit more insight into, you mentioned, you know, they think differently. What, what From your observations, what, what does that look like? How do you, how do you cross analyze a, a, a trad fi trader versus a crypto degen trader? Mm-hmm. Great question. So I think br- this is going to be uh, initially talking in kind of broad strokes here. Um, in, in traditional finance, there's a lot less, you, you really have sort of a separation or bifurcation between the front office and the back office. So front office, meaning those that execute the trade, back office and middle office being those that deal with all of the operations and all of the, sort of the, the fallout that comes because you have the traders and the salespeople in the front office um, executing trades. Um the reason that is, is the, the large hedge funds, the large banks, anyone that does this execution, there's been so much infrastructure and processes built up over time that the traders, the, you know, the uh, maybe the stereotypical uh, men and women beating their chest and, and doing the trades, they, they don't even need to always, exactly, Wolf yeah. of Wall Street, they don't need to necessarily talk with the, the back office. They just have systems where when they execute, it's just going to flow through to them. They don't even think about that side of the house. Yeah, the Bloomberg terminal, right? Yeah. The the 80s looking, exactly. you know, it's just charts and candlesticks and it's just, you know, it looks yeah. like it's, you know, uh, uh, MS-DOS type of terminal. Exactly, right? yep. Yeah. So it's, it's point and click. If you're doing high frequency trading, it's your algos are running. If you're, um, it, there's still a lot still that happens on phones and things, but all of this stuff is they just think about executing trades. Where am I buying? Where am I selling? Um, they don't have to think about all the movements of equities or whatever, or the actual underlying assets on the back end. Crypto and, and the DGENs, as you said, to kind of go the full other side is, is completely reversed. Um, the desks generally, th- those desks that have found a way to get to scale have had to be super focused on operations just because if you touch spot at all, if you're not just doing something with with uh, futures or derivatives that's strictly cash settled, but if you, if you touch spot, it means you have to have figured out things like custody. You have to figure out how to integrate with uh, exchanges. You have to be able to send coin or tokens back and forth with your counterparties. And so that's meant that back office and front office uh, the line is much more blurred within crypto and to be successful on the front office as doing sales and trading, you have to work very closely uh, with the back office uh, people and be more operationally minded. And so what we're doing with Membrane is we're trying to take uh, really the reliance on oper- operations that currently operations and sort of back office activity and movements and management of funds that exists uh, currently in crypto and simplifying that significantly so that uh, you can really unlock massive efficiency across a, a desk that exists in TradFi, uh, but does not currently exist in, in crypto market. It's generally being done in a very manual and very prone to error, I should mention, uh, process where people are copying, pasting private, uh, uh, sorry, public addresses, hopefully not private uh, keys, uh, public addresses, 
and a lot of room for fat finger mistakes, and then they're manually sending tokens. That's really what we we streamline. Well, and I imagine you know settlement and custody is a huge deal for TradFi, especially you know if the 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 volumes of what they're trading is million x of what you know a crypto desk or a crypto native desk is potentially going to be trading, just because of the economies of scale and their market making relationships exactly. and all that good stuff. Um, it, it I might have an interesting question for you and in. in um, you know, a, a lot of Web3 trading platforms that try to connect into the backend connectivity of banks, for example, have to figure out the hurdle of how do I connect natively with a, a traditional enterprise stack? You know, from a banking perspective or financial institution, you know, that might be an order management system or an OMS, right? Or that might be a core banking platform uh, or, or um, you know, or, uh, Infosys is Finicle is one that comes to mind, right? Or Tenemos or, or what have you. Um, and there are connections here that have a reliance on the SWIFT system, right? Um, do you, does Membrane have to consider any of those possibilities? And if so, how have you addressed that without giving away your secret sauce, so to speak? But I think that is an interesting thing here that our listeners would be um, uh, curious about is that, you know, a big question or a big concern of Web3 capabilities in general is, how do I weave these capabilities into my existing enterprise stack? So I'm curious on how you guys have addressed that or what your purview of, of, of addressing that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and it's super important, especially on more of what we call our enterprise clients, which are things that are exchanges or more like uh, uh, traditional banking uh, institutions, because um, the larger the institution you go uh, to, the more requirements they have for where reporting needs to go, how it's formatted, et cetera. So maybe the short answer is we have almost 60 developers um, now at Membrane. And when we get to those kind of counterparties, we have to sort of ask where and how their reporting needs. We sort of uh, have the ability to get to any data, but each one needs it formatted a different way. So um, and, and that's we a do regulatory sort of have to- requirement, right? Regulators, yeah. you know, the whole, you know, post, pre, the entire trade life cycle needs to be reported. KYC AML connectivity of the people that are actually trading and, and everyone that you're interacting with and, and a full audit trail, right? And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize is when financial institutions are actually inter, uh, interacting with securities, the whole thing has to be captured. Every event has to be captured and it has to be audited um, you know, ad hoc whenever a regulator comes knocking. Yep, that's exactly right. And I think um, Membrane, I, I believe, is the first time within the crypto space that you can have that sort of rigor on the, the tracking for regulatory purposes um, of OTC transactions. Other places has this have this, like if you're doing on exchange, um, you can probably get that level of, of detail, maybe. But here, everything, um, if you're doing an OTC spot transaction, if you're doing, if we're lending and borrowing, and we'll get to the really powerful uh, loan management suite that we have probably later in this call, um, and or if you're um, in the near future doing derivatives. So we're adding actually the ability to do OTC bilateral options where we can do, um, it, you know, cross, we'll have the ability to cross margin, do custom terms for uh, for the margining and, and uh, where and how the capital is held between counterparties. We'll get to that later. But anyways, the point is for all of that, we have all the reporting and then well, we do have, we try to make everything so that it's rinse and repeat and it's sort of one size fits all for each client. That's, that's more the case for the actual desks. As you go to the institution, there's always some custom work we need to do just to massage the, the data into the format they need for that, that kind of reporting. Do you have to do any settlement or conversion from transactions directly from Swift at all using crypto? Mm -hmm. Great question. So that's actually uh, something that got moved further up on our roadmap. We've been thinking about it for a while, but in the fallout of Silvergate and Signature uh, and their respective networks uh, sort of going offline, um, we got more and more requests from that uh, from our clients and our prospects. And so we actually have been working through a very holistic um, wire and swift management system. Um, we're, we're looking through, working through right now, Plaid integration and, and some other, uh, some other, uh, bells and whistles, I guess you can say that will make it so that regardless of the bank, like, like basically we wanted us to be able to, to pick their bank, pick their crypto custodian. And then this can help sort of be the, the mapping, uh, between their trades and loans executed somewhere, uh, into all of the movements, uh, between those now membrane, uh, at the moment won't be the, the platform that they initiate those moves, but it'll be able to track that wires have arrived. And then when you get into the settlement process, that will know when when sort of like the, the crypto side of things can move. Because with a lot of this, you're trying to minimize settlement risk or what's called Herstat risk. 
um, which is just the kind of classic, like if you and I enter a trade and you're, you're like, great, you owe me a uh, million dollars of Bitcoin and you owe me a million dollars of fiat or USDC, um, we're, we're sitting there figuring out who shoots first or who sends first. Um, and Membrane manages that as well. We have a system of smart contracts as well as something called Atomic Settlement, where we can actually synchronize uh, the movements of funds cross-chain um, using the membrane platform. And we're working to, to build the fiat side of that in as well, um, as you say, the kind of swift connection. So so you've, you've got cross-bridges built natively within your platform. It sounds like you have to be interoperable between different types of currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what what, right. what cryptocurrencies uh, are, are you guys most dealing with from a, a, from a large institutional perspective? So I would say at the moment, <coughs> excuse me, I would say at the moment, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stable coins, um, still some Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash. Those are still where um, a, a majority of the volume is. I think, especially just given what the market has looked like over the the last year. I think broadly, as we talk I don't to think clients, the there's less activity. Deal with the shitcoin. <laughs> exactly, right. and even if you take the crypto native uh, trading desks and, and lending desks that maybe were more active in in altcoins or shitcoins, uh, you know, a year, little over a year ago, before kind of the crypto market crashed. They're, they're definitely slower on that front at the moment. So that's where a majority of the volume, not just on membrane, but if you look kind of across the OTC trading and lending landscape in the space right now, that's where the activity is. I expect if, you know, no one has a crystal ball, but if with the progress that the, the market's made since whatever the last bad headline was, um, if that continues, I think that that market will come back to some extent. But at the moment, it's it's predominantly Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, stablecoin, sort of the triangles that you can make uh, therein. But let's uh, let's dive a little bit into custody because that's not a that's not a topic that there's a lot of content out there. Um, do you guys? How do you guys address custody for your clients? Let me let me start with that. Yeah, great question. So, custody is a very uh, important piece for all of the desks and all of the clients that we interact with. Obviously, because if if you're in crypto, you have to think about custody. Um, we took a, a very interesting approach, and I think we're maybe the only one um, in the space that have done this. We we needed to be fully custody agnostic because one of the early. I'll take one step back, and then I'll get right to your question. The the early sort of genesis or thinking um, for membrane came from realizing that there was no. CLS uh, for for crypto. So if you're familiar with the FX markets, um, there's something called CLS, which is sort of the the clearing intermediary that kind of sits between execution and custody and does all of the clearing, netting, and settlement to map between those things. That's really was sort of the the early vision and continues to be in in a lot of ways uh, for membrane. So from the very beginning, we said, hey, we need to allow uh, clients, like if you take uh, a large hedge fund, if you take 0.72, if they want to, if they if they decide that the liquidity is interesting or the opportunities are interesting to trade on Coinbase or trade on Binance, um, they're still not going to want to park their their risk and ops team aren't going to want to park their funds at Coinbase or Binance necessarily. They're going to want to say, oh no no, we custody at BNY or whatever in their their crypto or Fireblocks or whatever they choose. But those two decisions are made sort of uh, independently, and that's how it always works in traditional finance, where the front office guys and women men and women want to trade. And then where the, the risk people want to actually hold uh, or custody the actual assets. So we realized that early and we've been building, uh, we've been working on this since 2019 with a, with a very large team. So we actually integrate to all the different custodians. We're not a custodian and we never touch the private keys, nor do we want to be, but we have integration. You'd have to get a license to be able to be a Correct. custodian, right? So That's right. Yep. Yep. And we, we think that that sort of ruins the, like a clearing a clearing counterparty um, really needs to be agnostic to execution venue and custody. So we integrate to third-party sort of centralized custodians, as well as wallets. You asked earlier about, about the retail side of things. Um, so we already have support for ledgers, MetaMask, Wallet Connect. Even though right now it's institutions that are using it, that will be powerful if eventually we launch uh, something on the retail side. Um, we have support for, for Fireblocks and, and more the MPC-style wallets. So we really kind of span all of them. And what's really interesting is that means that you now have an OTC network or clearing netting settlement network that isn't confined to one custodian or one MPC provider, which is what everyone that has started to do that has done thus far. But now it's like if you do business with a counterparty, you don't need to care where and how they custody. You can use membrane, and now the whole operation is streamlined, regardless of where they hold their funds. Yeah, and and in the concept that you're kind of implying there, in 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 a in a broad sense, so to speak, that maybe a lot of people that are just used to trading from a real t- retail perspective, but not might might not have exposure from an institutional or an HFT, right, high frequency or forex uh, trading perspective, is that. 
trading at the institutional level is very much reliant on the strength of an overall network, the, the strength of an overall ecosystem. And it sounds like where Membrane is uh, you know, positioned is kind of how do we make sure that your ecosystem, your network works as efficient as possible as you're interacting with crypto-based uh, instruments, um, if, if I'm summarizing that correctly. Um, and then how do, we, how, do we, how do we fill in the gaps uh, to enable you as a market maker, a custodian, a settlement house, uh, a broker, blah, 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 uh, to make sure that you can go from point A to point B in a trade much as quickly as possible. Um, That's exactly right. Do you, um, you guys, are you guys US based or are you guys EU based or, or, or where are you guys based out of? Yep, US based. Uh, and then we also have a, a non US entity and we're looking to open up uh, an office in Asia as well. So as you're thinking about, you know, this grand vision for Membrane, and obviously as a startup, it's iterative and you, you know, create products as your requirements or your client requirements, uh, you know, justify it. And as you plan it within your roadmap, um, did you ever have any purview or did you have to go and acquire any certain types of licensing to be able to actually, you know, from a financial perspective, like let's say, and I'm just going to say stuff out loud here, they might not be relevant or not, but you know, like if you have clients in the UK, did you need to go get FCA if you're in the EU or FINMA or or, or obviously U.S. is not applicable right now because no one really knows uh, where the SEC mm -hmm. is going to go. I think we all know where they're going to go. But you know, uh, thinking about that, like, did you, membrane as you are thinking about because you are a technology company, you are not the actual facilitator of these. You didn't have to go and you know get a multilateral trading facility license. You didn't have to go and to tell me a little bit more about that process because I think that's a big thing yes. for a lot of crypto startups is. For them to actually engage, I think the end goal is for a lot of these cool, especially DEX and, and DeFi protocols um, and companies that are trying to acquire the institutional clients, there is a major hurdle in front of them, and that is the regulatory hurdle. And how do they overcome that? And it, seem, it sounds like you guys have overcome that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and as... As you said, sort of the answer is that we're, we are really a software platform. Um, and even though this wasn't the reason we didn't focus on execution, it's a, it's a big benefit of the fact that we were focused on clearing and post-trade, uh, really management uh, uh, operations software. Um, because we don't, we don't enable execution within the platform, in other words, people aren't actually executing the trades and the loans directly in the platform, and also given the fact that we don't actually introduce the parties. So if, you, if your trading desk comes onto Membrane, you don't see any of the counterparties. You actually have to get an invite code from another, another counterparty, another bank, another lender, another uh, 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 trading desk in order to enter it in the system. And then if they're on, it matches, matches up. But because Whoa, we, we don't do that, that's a little bit different yeah. than a TradFi system, right? If I'm interacting with Bloomberg Terminal, I can choose from my preferred, yeah. you know, um, when I put in an RFQ, I can choose my yeah. from my preferred fulfill uh, counterparty fulfillers, right? And there's yes, usually an option right. of best price, second best price, third price, you know, and it, it, the system yeah. automatically interacts with that. But you actually have an option where you can actually choose uh, yes. just based off of the strength of relationship. But in, uh, now let me ask a question. A big thing about regulation is to be the non-discriminatory uh, choosement of settlements and, and uh, settlement houses, right? So how do you, how, how does that, it, it almost sounds like you're conflicting yeah. with that. Well, so it's a good question. If it was if it was an exchange, right? If we were an exchange and we had multiple parties, then that would be the case. Here, it's basically people taking their bilateral OTC relationships and dumping them in. So it's sort of like each person, each desk or institution is building out their own. There's a lot of networks built on top of membrane, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. In that, each person's building out their own whitelist of who they're willing to see flow from and interact with. Uh, on membrane. So the OTC market works a little a little differently. To your point, we actually do want to get to something more like uh, the Bloomberg style, uh, as, as you say, probably over time. Um, but in order to do that, we'll have to have our BD license in place because in order to make those introductions between uh, counterparties, we'll need that. So in order to be, and we're probably playing this on on the safe side, uh, which I think is the way to do things right that's now, right given how regulations are. Now, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so that's why we, we use the invite codes. We know that networks and sort of uh, cross-up between the networks would happen quicker if we bypass that. But uh, we feel like we, we want to wait until the BD license is in place to do that uh, the right place. So, so kind of coming, or sorry, do that at the right time and, and in the right way. 
Um, so kind of coming back to your base question, uh, sort of on how we're thinking about this, I, I would say we've been more cautious uh, and we put more sort of restrictions and, and uh, limitations on the platform until various licenses are in place that can allow us to even further the functionality. But at the moment, we're getting very uh, uh, positive results and uptake of the platform, even at its slightly more restricted capacity. So. Hey, it's it's probably very enticing to just open the floodgates, so to speak. But you know, you guys are. It sounds like you guys are doing it from the right perspective. That hey, if we want to be a major enabler for you know the 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 larger trading market, which is a tra- traditional trading market, um, then we have to adhere to the way that they operate. And and I think that's a big thing that. A lot of the DGens and maxis in our space right now um, ignore or overlook because there is a huge, I would say, like high mind mentality right now within the crypto space or, or within the Web three. But let, let's say more specifically the crypto space, where it's like we are the disruptors. We are going to disrupt the intermediaries. We are going to disrupt the traditional finance networks. But how do you disrupt a hundred year plus relationships, right? Those relationships that have been built, uh, you know, by massive trading volumes on a daily basis. And now all of a sudden you come in with a more novel technology, technology comes and goes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but people and process, that's, what's more important, um, than, than necessarily the technology, the technology will continue to evolve here. Um, in, in there, there's, there's a lot of, news right now in recent weeks and recent months, especially around staking. Um, do you guys deal with anything in regards to staking? Do you offer staking services? Have you have you shied away from that? Great question. So at the moment within our platform, you see sort of a portfolio management and, and wallet and account configuration. You see um, settlement and transfer management. You see the booking of, of trades. You see the booking of loans. To your question on staking, uh, we've discussed that internally. At some point, probably staking and, and maybe even like portals into to DeFi more broadly, um, probably in, in small tranches as, as we go, um, could make sense. At the moment, um, we, we didn't want to sort of... Uh, over uh, over flood sort of the platform with too many features. Um, I think we'll kind of wait as as these desks ask us for that. I think um, those that are sort of understanding so, so, of the so process the are not asking for staking is, is is kind of what you're implying here. Well, it's interesting because I think they're interested in staking, but those that are seem to already have the technical note. Like it, a little bit seems like those that are willing to take that that risk and go for that yield seem to have found ways thus far uh, to manage that technical complexity themselves. I would say that's something that could work really well into in the future in a platform like Membrane. But at the moment, it seems like those that are interested sort of have already figured out some way to do that. Now, yeah. I think it's more traditional finance players come in, they won't have that technical know-how. So I do think there could be an opportunity for well, that. And, and, you know, and staking is a relatively novel concept, especially when you're talking to digi- traditional market makers, right? Like think of think of a sizable asset management fund or, or institution or, or hedge fund or what have you. And, you know, I've got 5 billion AAUM under my management. Um, and now you're telling me that there is, I could potentially enable a collection of rewards under the assets that are being custodied or held um, just by delegating control. And that is a novel concept that crypto and Web3 mm-hmm. has introduced. But, mm-hmm. and it seems like a no brainer, right? At least, uh, you know, from a, a layman's perspective, a non trading perspective, hey, I hold this asset and it's just sitting here. Oh, let me delegate control and let me earn some, collect some rewards by letting someone else custody that. Um, and you would think where a lot of the major financial institutions have just massive amounts of assets under management, especially family, you know, their family office uh, um, clients, um, that would be a no-brainer. But uh, it, it sounds like, and 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 to your point, I haven't really seen staking as a maybe staking as a service let's call it um offered by a lot of traditional institutions because it sounds like they haven't dipped their toes in that and and do you think maybe that's because there isn't really any regulation that has really um um or there isn't any sort of precedent that has been set in terms of this is the proper way to stake that because staking right now is another wild west Mm -hmm. type of thing right it is a crypto thing it is if you if you do it wrong, you know you, you it's lost, right? It's just like you know, hey, I might I might lose my action if I send the wrong key for my wallet, right? That's right. Yeah, I think that it's um, probably twofold. I think 
as you said, it is sort of a wild west. I think for for those that are, are Web3 native like you and me, it probably doesn't seem too complex. But if you take a step back and you look at where the really big pools of capital are that I think now are very much paying attention to Ethereum, much like they were starting to pay attention to Bitcoin a couple of years ago. Uh, and they would like that yield. But still, as soon as they hear staking, like it, we should probably never underestimate the amount of uh time or friction it is even to do the five minutes of reading to kind of understand <laughs> how something works. They hear something they haven't heard of. They're like, uh, never mind. I'm, I'm not into it. I think that will change very quickly. The other piece of it, I think, is um, just sort of the uh, enforcement actions and tone that's come out over the last year around staking programs, which often aren't actually the underlying staking. It's how they package things up. But I think still with staking and even some lending programs, I think that's caused everyone to sort of take a six month pause and sort of assess, not everyone, but a lot of players that probably will get into it to take a little bit of a pause and try to assess things. What jurisdiction do they, would they want to launch these things under? Um, and, and, and you made a key point that I think a lot of people will miss. It's not the actual technology capability or the actual service. It is how it's being wrapped, right? And that is where the it's it's not the staking service itself. It's not the staking capability that is the issue. It is the minute it is wrapped in. Let, let, let's just talk conceptually. You know, like mortgage based securities and MBSs. Let's say you stake, uh, you know, fifty mortgage products together, and now that becomes a potential MBS security, right? Um, yeah. There's there's nothing right now in terms of regulation of crypto backed MBSs, so to speak, right? Maybe a derivative, we'll call that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of an MBS, uh, that is the issue from a regulator perspective. It is not the actual staking service. So then, if we take that back to a broader lens of applicability of uh, you know just Web three securities or crypto securities, it is not the fact that like Ethereum itself is the issue or the token offerings or these native crypto coins are that their their tokens are the issues it is the concept the minute it is offered into a retail audience or into a non-retail perspective and what is that fight what is that considered from a financial instrument perspective right and then the minute it becomes considered a security um, there is a whole there's a whole new world that almost everyone has to that that crypto natives aren't aware of but traditional financial institutions very much are and that's the issue and I think that's a big that's a big point of the kind of public narrative right now in terms of are these securities are these not securities well what is a security well what is not what is a security is pretty well defined it's pretty easy go and pass mm-hmm. it by the howie test almost every single cryptocurrency mm-hmm. is going to pass or is going to fail you know or pass you know what have you but everything is going to be mm-hmm. even tokenized assets right will be deemed securities you know maybe we're mm-hmm. calling that here now as a as a a, a a a future prediction but almost every tokenized asset right now will be deemed a security the minute that becomes wrapped as an asset that becomes traded by a trading desk there is a whole yeah. view of regulation that needs to be adhered to um and, and it sounds like you guys have taken that perspective from the very beginning that's right yeah so i think we have and, and not to go through kind of the full regulatory strategy, but as I mentioned before, we kind of took multiple layers of this where it was like, okay, step one, we don't want to deal with execution. We just want to be the software platform, uh, sorry, the software kind of solution that sits between these things and manages post-trades. But then even uh, step two, we're, we're doing a lot within sort of, okay, what can US-based institutions... Oh, one thing, just taking a step back, everyone on the platform, this is why early on you asked about kind of the, is this a solution for retail? And at the moment, the answer is no, it's just for institutions. That also is another piece that that helps us on the regulatory front. Everyone that comes on the platform has to be to be KYC'd, and then additionally, when they build out those kind of whitelisted networks we mentioned, where your trading desk says, "Okay, I want to I want to trade with uh, Carson's trading desk," they also have to do an attestation in it that they're KYC'd and have met KYC'd off on both sides, both parties, yep, exactly KYC'd yep. all 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 directions. Um, and then additionally, even getting back to your point. Um, we're, we're within whether someone's a U.S. institution or non-U.S., we treat that differently um, as well in terms of what features, even within our current restricted uh, feature set until until we get through the BD license, um, we, we give them access to. And that even gets down into which assets they can uh, transact in. Um, because as you said, there's, you know, there's, these some, there's a few that have looked like they're most likely not securities. Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that, and then there's a whole lot of others that, well, those those likely or or may uh, turn into that, and so we're we're treating all of that uh, kind of very carefully on the platform. But let's talk about 
what I think is the most interesting offering of your platform, which is the lending side. Uh, and this really gets now into the world of where DeFi um, and indexes and, and all of those capabilities start to become very powerful, right? So, so tell me a little bit about Membrane's lending uh, offering and um, how DeFi is it? Or how non-DeFi is it? And, and that's a very bad question, but I think you get the essence of what I'm trying to ask. It, it's a great question. And those are two uh, really important points. I'll start with kind of lending, and then I'll, there's a whole lot we can talk about the DeFi versus non-DeFi, um, because I think it's uh, an important point for the broader industry of, of how they think about the line between these things blurring. So taking a step back, um, we, we first built, I mentioned the clearing, netting, and settlement um, uh, system and, and engine that we built. First thing we built on top of that was basically an application flow for booking your uh, OTC trades into the system, netting everything down and finding the, the smallest amount of, of payments to move between counterparties. Um, next thing we built was was uh, the same same functionality, but for loans. Now loans are more complex beasts because you have to move the principal and collateral um, initially. Uh, you can have margin calls and refunds where you have to top up from either direction. You have interest payments that go out. You have the unwinding. So you have this whole, like a trade is a moment in time, and then you just have to play cleanup from that moment in time. A loan persists throughout, uh, throughout time, and there's all this activity that happens downstream. So that, uh, when we added that functionality and it proved to be a much, one more complex to build, but two, much more powerful uh, for anyone that is uh, interacting with a loan, either from the lender side or the borrower side. So within Membrane, the lender and the borrower are literally and figuratively on the same page. So you can track the LTVs. Because they're, uh, they're, they're essentially the same platform. They're in the same pipe, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they're seeing the exact same information on the loan. And again, these are for OTC sort of off-chain loans, where if you just rewind to last year where everything blew up, and we won't go into that whole story, but across the whole the whole lending market where people were mostly doing uncollateralized or under-collateralized uh, loans, um, within this, you can actually track all of that. You can see full risk management and portfolio management. Lenders can track what their weighted average tenors and and sort of their PNL is across counterparties or across individual uh, individual uh, loans or baskets of loans. So once we built out sort of the strictly the flow of funds um, kind of operations management for this, we realized the real opportunity here was to get lenders out of the Stone Age because if you looked at every lender, and I think I can say this. Uh, pretty holistically now based on people we have on the team and who we've talked to across the space. Every lender last year was doing everything out of Google Sheets. You had these companies that were getting to astronomical valuations and multiples because business was booming and because they were writing uncollateralized and undercollateralized loans. Um, but they were running things in Google Sheets. They had next to no technology. And then they had uh, operations analysts clicking away on ledgers and fire blocks to, to move funds. And all kinds of things were slipping through the cracks. And ultimately, it blew up, which wasn't surprising. Not that it was uniquely their fault. There was multiple people at fault within the within the space. You could even say the, the bull market was the who was at fault. But anyways, this whole system now allows them to move beyond Google Sheets, have everything tracked in one spot and have all of the payments, like all of the settlements are actually queued up at the right moment in time. So if you and I do a loan and we have weekly interest payments or monthly interest payments, that whole payment schedule is flowed out and it will actually queue it all the way down to either your or my respective custodian at the right time for us to sign at the right moment and move. So we like to say are, if you have counterparties... any of that on chain or is that all still traditional right. API, you know, queries? And I think that's a, that's a big thing to note, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a great question. And that, that'll get into this kind of DeFi versus uh, non-DeFi thing. So just one more thing to note, and then I'll go on to that. So if, if like you, if you have capital and counterparties... Everything else associated basically with running a lending desk, you can use sort of membranes, uh, loan management oh, software cool, to do, cool. which is really cool. We like to say, just, just get counterparties and capital and then well, you and, can and use and that's the biggest, that's the biggest problem right now with a lot of platforms, right? Is you can bring in the, uh, you know, let, let's for everyone else listening, you know, within a trade, there's buy and sell side, right? There's fulfillment and counterparty fulfillment and, and the offerings right now you can offer anything. But the biggest uh, issue in in, uh, in in current state, going back to maybe your McKinsey days, current state, uh, is that there is not enough counterparty fulfillment on the buy side of offerings from the sell side. Um, and so it sounds like you are bridging that by bringing by enabling more counterparty fulfillment of offerings, especially from a loan or a lending perspective. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So this gets and this links back to your question you had a, a second ago on sort of what's on chain, what's not, what's DeFi, what's what's not DeFi. So um, both for loans, but across the whole membrane system, we've start, I, I started to call this stuff HiFi uh, for like hybrid <laughs> finance, something that's between DeFi and CFI because I I'm think have to use that. for too long. Yeah, <laughs> feel free. Uh, we'll we'll love if it catches on. So. Um, I think for too long in this space, and, and I have, have had a, a foot in, very solidly in, in both worlds um, over the last handful of years, but, and, I, and I have massive respect for both, but too much has been <coughs> just building in DeFi or just building in CFI or TradFi or whatever. And the real power comes from institutions uh, or, or companies that start building products that use the best of smart contracts and the best of DeFi, but then realize that if you're building an institutional offering like we are at Membrane, that institutions still need to, to interact with that in a way that they can, which is facing a company, not necessarily a foundation or a DAO or a non-entity, coming in through some centralized uh, UI, <clears throat> and then certain pieces of, of the process can use smart contracts. So within Membrane, um, the settlement, or in the case of loans, we're building out something for um, sort of use of escrow with smart contracts. We always use the smart contracts as sort of a an option for institutions. So I think it's important with mm. institutions to give them a choice of risk. So I, this goes back to when I was talking about <laughs> custodians and where the the risk and the operations team will independently, so uh, at you know a large hedge fund or a large bank are going to select where and how to hold the assets. They'll also de- determine what risks they can stomach. So. If they're if it's Jane Street and Goldman doing a trade with each other, they're probably fine having a one day or even a week long settlement risk where they're like, I know Goldman's good for this. They'll send me the money on Friday. Um, if they're facing a much smaller counterparty, they might want to use an escrow smart contract that holds the funds because they don't know if Carson Cook trading is going to default and not send the funds tomorrow. So, so we give them this defined smart contracts with defined thresholds for almost every type of risk profile. It sounds like depending on you know, the, the b- both sides of the trade that are coming together uh, and their risk appetite and what they want defined, you know, like like using the example of five-day settlement period, that might be defined within the smart contract and automatically executed and fulfilled by the smart contract. That's pretty cool. It's pretty novel. I don't think a lot of people realize that is a huge power of smart contracts. The ability um, to act as... I mean, if you go back to the the natural core essence of what a smart contract should do, it should be replacing the... the or, or being in place of an intermediary to begin with intermediary being you know a human capital choke point in an existing process workflow replicating the or, or or fulfilling the job of a human today or of, of a step or a process you've actually built multiple intermediaries uh, with defined thresholds uh, to accomplish uh, basically a buffet of different risk profiles that's pretty cool Yep, that's that's exactly right. Well summarized, and it's it's cross chain too, which is really cool. And in fact, we have a patent now on this off chain coordination of on chain settlement. Um, I think we're going to have an article uh, released shortly uh, on this, but we're very excited we got we got this patent. Um, but effectively, it means that across multiple chains, including actually UTXOs, this is what's very novel as well. So not only do we have smart contracts, but we also use delay functionality within UTXOs, so we can make sure Bitcoin settles. Uh, if and only if the ERC-20 side of, of a trade settlement uh, settles as well. And like I said, since some institutions, even though you can tell them this technology, going back to your point on technology versus people and process, processes, you can say this technology is way better. You don't have settlement risk. But if they can't, don't understand a smart contract or don't know how to assess the risk of putting funds in a smart contract, we never force them into that. We say, hey, you can also sign from your custodian, your your wallet and take the settlement risk. Again, that example of like Goldman and Jane Street moving Bitcoin or something between each other, right? They, they will probably just choose that and say, I, I won't deal with the smart contract. So for us, it's all about offering choice. Yeah, and, 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 and that's pretty important, right? Like everyone, at least in our space, assumes that if someone, if a major institution is going to adopt something, they're going to adopt the whole thing, you know, the entire mm-hmm. DeFi landscape, so to speak, right? Um, and I'm saying that very generally and very broadly. But uh, to your point, you know, especially let's talk about settlement. They might be interested in the uh, um, instrument offerings, and they don't necessarily care about a lot of the smart contract automation or fulfillment because they've already got a well-oiled process that can do that on behalf of them within their existing desks. And I think that's pretty important for a lot of people listening, especially for a lot of the uh, Web3 natives, that a lot of 
if if you want your capability adopted by a lot of major institutions, you also have to understand how they work today and how your um, platform could potentially empower them or enable them to be more efficient than what they are today uh, versus coming in and saying, hey, you have to learn this entire new process. You have to understand a smart contract. You have to understand um, you know, what it's doing. You have to understand where it's going and how it's interacting with chains and, and, and off-chain and on-chain and, and what have you. But really... All you need to know is, hey, this could replace X, Y, or Z. This could improve A, B, C, or D. Um, and it's modular in nature, right? And that's that sounds like what you're... It's it's modular. You, you have a buffet of offerings and you can pick and choose what, what you want. You don't have to adopt the whole thing. Yep, that's exactly right. And I think that was a shift of thinking from for me because I, I very much came from the Web3 native crypto uh, side of things. And realizing that, you know, you have to think, I think a lot of, of DeFi and the first iteration of Web3 thought about where capital moved as opposed to like who has the capital and what their, you know, uh, kind of classic client analysis or user analysis of like, what does your user need? Now, I think in this next uh, wave of things, people are thinking about who the users are. So you have to think about how will they get in? And I think, you know, I, I agree with all of the people, I think that are probably the Web3 listeners here, which is like, Ultimately, all of this stuff should go on chain and it should disintermediate uh, institutions and things. I think we will get there. But in the meantime, in order to play, to enable a solution for institutions so that eventually they can expand and sort of see the light and, and help us get there, whether that's in 10 years or 40 years, um, you sort of need to first kind of uh, map to them, allow them to, as you said, it's not all or nothing. It's like get into this sort of inch by inch. And then slowly sort of the on-chain world can start to take over. Um, but you sort of have to come to where they are today. So. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I, everything you sound, you're, you're, you're mentioning is pretty novel. So how long has Membrane been live? How many, how many clients have you onboarded? You know, what size from a, a financial institution perspective? And maybe could you maybe hit on like, you know, what type of profile they are? Are they brokers? Are they market makers? Are they liquidity providers? Are they hedge funds? Are they blah, 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 blah. Yeah, great question. So um, we've been building for almost four years and we have a team of uh, almost 70 at this point, um, but we just launched. We wanted to make sure the platform was super powerful before we rolled it out. Um, we just did our formal launch uh, a little less than two months ago. Um, and already in that time, we've onboarded uh, 13 institutions, might be 14 now. Um, and the, the kind of clients or the way we segment things are sort of across three main buckets. So one would be uh, desks that are active in OTC, whether that's OTC spot or derivatives. I mentioned earlier that we have a really powerful derivatives, uh, uh, OTC derivatives op uh, offering that's coming in the next several months. Um, so anything that's a desk, a market maker, a broker, uh, a hedge fund um, that's active in, in digital assets, that's sort of that client base. Um, second group is uh, our lenders, so those that interact with loans. This could be on the lender or the borrower side. The borrowers tend to also be those desks that I just mentioned, but the lenders, of course, uh, are generally crypto-native, uh, unique lending desks. Um, and then the, the third uh, kind of client segment is what we call enterprise. So this is where it's exchanges, uh, custodians, aggregators, anything where they have their own flow uh, from trading or lending or payments or something that needs to be sort of... Uh, uh, shipped through the clearing process, i.e. needs to be ingested or booked uh, generally programmatically into membrane, netted down, and then queued up for settlement uh, between a number of, of their own clients that are counterparties. So those are kind of the three main buckets, desks, lenders, uh, and exchanges. And, and those are the ones that we're actively talking to and that we'd love to talk to. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, and and this has been a great conversation. I, I want to end with maybe one kind of uh, futuristic viewpoint from your perspective, you know, especially when we think about traditional institutions and private markets, capital markets, and, and tokenization of assets, right? We're seeing a lot of thought leadership being published. Even our firm, the firm that I run within YWales, uh, we do tokenize a lot of client assets. Um, and, and you're seeing publications being pushed out by the PWCs and the Deloitte's and the World Bank's now just released one two days ago about where there's the potential unlocking of liquidity on traditional illiquid assets because of tokenization. And we know that in traditional uh, finance, you know, assets are traded constantly, right? In, in, in a way that most of the public doesn't understand. And tokenization of those assets brings, you know, traditionally illiquid assets, 
art collections, car collections, real estate, for example, where liquidity could be instantly fulfilled because of the power of on-chain, you know, uh, you know, TPSs, for example, right? The speed and the efficiency of the trade and, and movement of that metadata of all the associated data attributes of these assets. There doesn't seem to be a platform right now. There's a myriad of tokenization platforms, but let's be real. It's not true tokenization, right? You still have to do a lot of filing and paperwork, and all it really is is saying that there is a representation of this asset as a data payload, right? But the, the true tokenization is the actual movement of all those data attributes behind it as well, as you're moving from the different parties during a, the life cycle of a trade, market makers, offers, lenders, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, there will be a point, and I think we can uh, confidently say this, you know, whether that's within the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, what have you, traditional institutions, crypto desks will start offering some sort of capability to start trading tokenized assets. Maybe it might start with NFTs. Maybe it might start with tokenized real estate. Where do you see um, something like a membrane fulfilling that capability or just that industry as a whole, because that is a net new novel concept in the world of trading. The ability to actually start trading assets instantly, directly because of instant fulfillment of liquidity in a way that fiat cannot do today. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm very bullish about the future of tokenization or uh, tokenized securities, whatever you want to call these things. It, it's something that has gone through a few different cycles over the last, as, as I'm sure you've been following, last three or four years where everyone's like, this is the year for, for tokenization. Um, and generally it hasn't been. I think there's a number of reasons why now it's actually top of mind. And we're hearing it from a number of the institutional clients and prospects that we talk to, whether that's exchanges even that come from the traditional finance side. And I'm talking like very large players that want to get into this. I think the things that people kind of uh, got maybe wrong in the last couple of years was they thought right away, like, great, we'll just tokenize equities. Well, there's so much to your point about people in process in addition to tech. There's so much people in process built around equities markets, um, stock markets, that I think that will be one of the last things that moves over because you just have all this friction or uh, all of this inertia associated with, with those markets. But all the things that you listed, these novel things that now you can you can tokenize and now all of a sudden the liquidity and the speed of transaction for these things can really become unlocked. I think that's coming in a big way. To your point about, or your question about uh, where and how membrane fits into this, we've been thinking about that, I think since the first month we, we started this, that we don't wanna be the tokenization much like we're not the issuer of, of uh, any of the tokens that currently um, can clear net and settle through our platform, but we're perfectly aligned uh, to provide everything we, we talked about, the, the OTC clearing netting settlement services for trades, loans, derivatives, um, and other things I'm sure in the future for any of those assets. So as soon as those come live and, and there becomes appetite for those and we'll have a front row seat as we talk to all the institutions and we see where they want to transact, we can uh, probably within the, the course of a month probably have support for any of those assets once we see the demand. So we're we're going to be actively watching that, and that's going to be a big part of uh, membrane in the future. Well, and the settlement and clearing is arguably the bigger problem that needs to be resolved, not the actual tokenization of the asset itself. We can tokenize anything today, right? right? But the settlement and clearing is the big you know question mark. Um, you know, where are these going to live? Who? How is it going to be settled? How is it? You know, is it is it going to be done before the trade or is it going be done after the trade you know who is the rifle how do we you know add test and how do we do audit and all that it, it, it's great stuff man well man this was this was a great uh, conversation. I, I absolutely loved it. And I absolutely love it when I can talk to someone in the capital market space. I, it's an opportunity to learn more. And it's also an opportunity to kind of talk conceptually about a lot of things and uh, where it's one of the most impactful industries in our space, right? It's it's where crypto was born. It's it's the one that has the most attention. And it's nice to, um, to talk with someone that has kind of a pro that is dealing with it at the institutional level, not necessarily the retail level. There's not quite, there's not that much content out there from an institutional perspective. So I thank you for giving us some of your time today. How do, how do, um, how do our listeners find out more? How do they potentially get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, you can uh, follow us on, on Twitter. I can share the, the handle with you uh, on that. Um, we also are going to shortly be launching a YouTube channel where there'll be uh, lots of, of uh, in, in, individual um, videos about our product, as well as sort of uh, a number of interviews that I think we'll be doing with people uh, sort of across the, the industry. Um, also go to MembraneLabs.com and you can read more about our offerings. There's interesting uh, links in there uh, and there's uh, a link in there to, uh, to get in contact if you're interested in signing up. 
Cool. And we'll get those links up here in, in this uh, recording notes here. Um, Carson, thank you again for your time this morning. And thank you, YWL listeners, for listening. My name is Siva and, and have a great day, everyone. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.